Let's open God's Word this morning to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, let's read the first 17 verses and the reason for reading this passage is especially those last three verses 15 through 17. Luke 18, And He spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, And shall not God avenge His own elect which cry day and night unto Him, though He bear long with them? I tell you that He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall He find faith on the earth? And He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank Thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And they brought unto him also infants, that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. We end our scripture reading at that point. It's on the basis of this passage and many others that we have the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 27. Specifically, question and answer 74 on page 15 in the back of our Psalters. Question and answer 74 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Are infants also to be baptized? Yes, for since they as well as the adult are included in the covenant and church of God, And since redemption from sin by the blood of Christ and the Holy Ghost, the author of faith, is promised to them no less than to the adult, they must therefore by baptism as a sign of the covenant be also admitted into the Christian church and be distinguished from the children of unbelievers as was done in the Old Old Covenant or Testament by circumcision, instead of which baptism is instituted in the New Covenant. 
Making our way through the Heidelberg Catechism, we have come to the section that explains for us the sacraments that Christ instituted for the church. And we begin with baptism. Last week, we looked at the meaning of baptism and the truth that by our baptism, we are admonished and assured of the truth that our sins are washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. This week, we wrestle with the question, who are the proper objects of baptism? To whom should this sacrament be given? And especially that the question is, should it be given to the children of believers? For the reality is that there's no debate about whether it should be given to adult converts. Everyone in the Christian church agrees that if someone grew up not a Christian and became a Christian later on in life, that they should be given the sacrament of baptism at that point. But the question concerns, what about the children of those who are Christians, whether they became Christians as adult or whether they have been Christians their entire life long? Should they too be baptized? It's important for us to face this question because of the debate within the broader church world. There are many who would say, no, the children of believers ought not be baptized, but only adults who profess their faith. That is the position of all Baptists. Whether we are talking about the Anabaptists during the time of the Reformation, whether we're talking about Southern Baptist or Reformed Baptist or whatever flavor of Baptist you might have in view, they all agree on this point. The sacrament of baptism should be reserved only for adults who profess their faith in Jesus Christ. Which raises the question for us, why then did we have three children baptized this morning? Are we right in this practice? Is there biblical warrant for it? So this is an important matter. And the importance of this comes out in the fact that this is a confessional issue for us. This is a part of our Heidelberg Catechism as well as the Belgian Confession so that this is not something to be minimized. This is not something to be swept under the rug as though it's not really that important because the importance is, comes out in that this is a confessional matter for us and that rightly so because Scripture itself emphasizes the importance of bringing our children to Jesus Christ. So much so that when Christ's own disciples tried to keep certain people from bringing their children to Jesus Christ, He was displeased with them. And He told them, allow those little children to come. Forbid them not. And it's an obedience to that Word of our Savior as well as many other passages that we have the practice that we do baptizing our infants as a part of bringing our children to Christ. And so this morning we consider Lord's Day 27, question answer 74, using as our theme infant baptism, bringing our little children to Jesus. First, we will look at the reason for infant baptism. Second, at the calling to baptize infants. And then third, the message of infant baptism. Question answer 74 asks the question, are infants also to be baptized? And it gives a very simple answer, yes. And then it says, for, indicating that 
Everything that follows is the explanation. Here's the reason for the practice that we do so that really the answer is explaining why we baptize children. And it's worth seeing the, the structure of question and answer 74. There's two halves. There's the since these things are true, and then the conclusion, therefore. And there are two things that are stated as being true concerning our children. Two since statements at the beginning of the catechism. Answer 74 says, yes, for since they are as well as the adult included in the covenant and church of God, and since, there's the second, redemption from sin by the blood of Christ and the Holy Ghost, the author of faith is promised to them. So two truths that are in view here. And the first is that infants are included in God's covenant and in His church. And here the catechism is drawing from passages such as Genesis 17, verse 7. This was quoted in the baptism form. It's a passage that we're familiar with. But Genesis 17, verse 7 reads, And I will establish My covenant between Me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. God here speaks of His covenant, that bond of love that He establishes with His people so that we can call upon Him as our God. And God had already established His covenant with Abraham, and now he's reiterating that covenant promise and giving to them, giving to Abraham the sign of the covenant, namely circumcision. But what's noteworthy for our purpose this morning is that God makes crystal clear that Abraham's seed, his children, his descendants would be included in this. For he says, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And while it's certainly true that that seed is first and foremost Jesus Christ, there's a seed in the singular. At the same time, the seed is plural because what, what's the other promise to Abraham? Your seed will be as the stars of the sky, as the Sand upon the seashore in number. There's a plurality to the seed, and that would include the children of believers. That's the biblical warrant for that first statement in the catechism. Since they, as well as adults, are included in the covenant and church of God. But the catechism does not stop there. It goes on to say, and since, here's the second statement, redemption from sin by the blood of Christ, and, here's the second thing, Holy Ghost, the author of faith, is promised to them no less than to the adults. So two things promised. Redemption and the Holy Ghost. And again, the catechism is drawing from Scripture. Here, the passage that's in view is the other that was quoted this morning in the baptism form. Acts 2, verse 39. Where we read, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. This is Peter's post-Pentecost sermon. And he speaks of a promise. And it's crystal clear the promise applies not just to those to whom he's addressing this word, but to their children also. And we ask, well, what is the promise? The previous verse tells us. Verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ 
for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So it speaks of the remission of sins and the Holy Ghost. And therefore, we recognize that when our catechism speaks of this promise of redemption and the Holy Ghost, it's drawing right from this passage. And it's saying these things are promised not just to adult believers, but to our children also. And now it's since these two things are true, children are included in the covenant, the remission of sins and the Holy Ghost are promised to them no less than to the adult. Therefore, we are to baptize our children. That's the conclusion that the catechism draws after it makes those two sin statements. We read right in the middle, they must therefore, by baptism as a sign of the covenant, be also admitted into the Christian church and be distinguished from the children of unbelievers. It's saying, therefore, they are to be baptized. And the logic is this, that if our children have these spiritual realities, we are to give them the sign the picture that points to the spiritual realities. There's careful logic there. Baptism is indeed a sign. That's a part of what it means. That's a sacrament. It points to... It's a visible testimony of invisible truths. Namely, the the grace of Jesus Christ in salvation. And we were taught last time that the symbolism includes the washing away of our sins. That symbolism includes the fact that we are renewed and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And now we can also add that this also includes our membership in the covenant. That's what the the catechism itself speaks of when it speaks of baptism in the middle there. It says they must therefore by baptism as a sign of the covenant. So baptism is a sign of the washing away of the sins, the work of the Holy Spirit, the sign of the covenant. Or of the being a member of the covenant. But now what we had just established is that these things are true for our children. They have the reality of these things and that Scripture teaches us that children are included in the covenant. Scripture teaches us that there's the promise of the remission of sins and the Holy Spirit, not just to adults, but to our children. And the logic of the catechism is because they have these realities... And if baptism is a sign, a picture of these realities, we really owe it to them to give them the sign. And now the main thing, the most important thing, is the reality that God establishes His covenant with them, that He forgives their sins, that He works faith in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. But if they have that reality, the church has the calling to give them the corresponding sign. That's what's implied in the catechism. That's what, and that truth is more clearly taught in our Belgic Confession. Belgic Confession, Article 34, page 52 in this Psalter. That top left corner, halfway down through that paragraph, we read this, And indeed Christ... And indeed, Christ shed His blood no less for the washing of the children of the faithful than for adult persons. And therefore, they ought to receive the sign and sacrament of that which Christ hath 
done for them. Christ shed His blood for them. And because they have that spiritual reality, we should give them the sacrament that points to that very truth. This is how the Reformed have always argued this point. For example, John Calvin wrote this, quote, if they, referring to children, are participants in the thing signified, why shall they be debarred from the sign? End quote. And in light of this, Calvin said, we owe them the sign of baptism. But that does not mean that every single child has the reality. We have made the point that we are to baptize the children of believers. Because if they have the reality, we should give them the sign. But that does not mean that if we give them the sign, that's a guarantee that they'll have the reality. To teach that or to draw that conclusion would be inconsistent with Scripture. For example, when we look at the two twin sons of Isaac and Rebekah, both of them were circumcised given the sign of the covenant, but yet only one of them was given the reality. Only Jacob, not Esau. And therefore, when we baptize the children of believers, we do not presume that God is going to save every last one of them. Because the sad and painful reality is that there are cases in which a child is baptized, receives the sacrament in his or her infancy, but then grows up and eventually manifests that they want nothing to do with Jesus Christ, nothing to do with His church. But though that is true, it does not take away from God's general promise that He will continue His covenant in the line of generations. And in light of that promise, we do baptize all the children of believers born into the church. So to summarize, children are included in the covenant. Children receive the remission of sins. Children have the Holy Spirit given to them all as children. And because these things are true, we give them the sign that points to that. But now because this is a matter of controversy, because there are those who would adamantly disagree with the message of this morning's sermon, it's worth giving further biblical support. It's worth bolstering our case in light of Scripture. What we've drawn, so, drawn from so far are passages that by and large we're familiar with. But what we need to see is that this is the truth taught throughout the entirety of God's Word. And a part of that biblical evidence comes from seeing that in Scripture, there are many examples of children who are saved as children. That is, Christ did not wait until they grew up, came to years of discretion, years of maturity, and then He saved them. But it's clear that already when they were children or infants, they had the reality of salvation. This was godly Samuel, about whom we read in 1 Samuel 2, verse 18, that he ministered before the Lord while he was still a child. This is David who confesses in Psalm 22, verse 10, I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. This is true of the 
firstborn son of David and Bathsheba, the son who died as an infant. We know that child was saved because David's consolation is that one day he's going to go to be with that child. That is, he's going to go to heaven. This child was brought to heaven even as an infant. This is true of Abijah, the son of Jeroboam. Jeroboam being that wicked king. Scripture tells us that Abijah died as a young child because according to 1 Kings 14, verse 13, there was found some good thing toward the Lord God of Israel in him. This is true of the little servant girl of Naaman the Syrian who was confident that there was a prophet in Israel who could heal her master of his leprosy. She had faith in Jehovah God and His power to deliver as a little girl. There's the eight-year-old King Josiah. One of the godliest kings that the nation of Judah ever had. Perhaps the clearest example is John the Baptist, about whom we read in first, excuse me, in Luke 1, verse 15, God promising to Zechariah that he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. John received the Spirit before he was ever even born. And then you have Timothy, about whom Paul could say in 2 Timothy 3, verse 15, that from a child, from a little infant, he knew the Holy Scriptures. And when we take all these examples together, we see there's a clear biblical pattern of God saving His people while they're children. Not waiting until they get old enough, but already in their infancy. And because they have the spiritual reality of salvation in Jesus Christ, we therefore give them the sign that points to that same truth. Now there's also further evidence in the instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ. Specifically in the passage that we read, Luke chapter 18, verses 15 and following. Luke 18, verses 15 and 16, we read this, "...and they brought unto Him also infants, that He would touch them. But when His disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them unto Him and said, Suffer little children to come unto Me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God." Note that last phrase, of such is the kingdom of God. He's saying that children are included in the kingdom of our God. They are citizens of the kingdom of our God. And what's so noteworthy is that when this passage speaks of infants, it's talking about very, very young children. That word infants in verse 15 is the same word used in 1 Peter 2, verse 2, of newborn babes who desire milk from their mothers. This is the same word used to describe Jesus in Luke chapter 2 immediately after He was born. These are babies. These are toddlers that are in view here. And that's further evidenced by the fact that these parents had to carry their children to Jesus Christ. They were holding them in their arms. It says, and they brought unto Him also infants. And the idea is they were caring. They were holding them even as they brought their children to Jesus Christ. 
And now that we understand which sort of children are in view, babies, infants, we understand how striking it is that Jesus then says, of such is the kingdom of our God. Even these little babies, these small infants are included in the kingdom. But it doesn't stop there. We also see this in the fact that Jesus Christ blessed these children that were brought unto Him. That's not brought out in Luke's account, but it does come out in the parallel account, namely Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 16, we read this, and He took them, that is these same children, up in His arms and put His hands upon them and blessed them. He blessed these children. And that tells us what the parents wanted. Luke's account said they wanted him to touch their children. And this then tells us what is meant by that. Touch them in the sense of bless them. And Jesus did that. We even read that he, he took them into his own hands, into his own arms. So it's not this the parents holding and then Jesus reaches across, but the children were actually given to Jesus Christ and then Holding in one arm, He used the other arm to touch and thereby bless. He was giving a visible symbol, a gesture pointing to the blessing that He gave in reality. And I do not know about you, but for myself, this is one of those passages that highlights more than any the tender compassion of our Savior. What a a scene that must have been to see the gentleness of our Savior towards those infants. But now even as He gave some visible testimony of the blessing that He bestowed upon them, so also as a church, we give a visible testimony, namely baptism, of the truth that they are blessed in Jesus Christ. So it's in light of these passages, and there are others that we could point to, but in light of these especially, that as a church, we see there's good reason to baptize our infants. But we must understand that it's not just a matter of preference. Well, you could do it this way, or you could do it the other way. You could wait till they're an adult. Because it's really stronger than that. And that's why in the second point, we want to consider the command to baptize infants. And that fact, the fact that this is a calling that comes to the church and to parents is expressed in the language of Lord's Day 27. Lord's Day 27 in the middle there says, they must therefore by baptism and then what follows. They must be baptized. So that believing parents have the calling to have their children baptized. And the same holds true for the church. So that the things that are mentioned in the rest of the answer are then shown to be true of our children. The answer continues, they must therefore by baptism as a sign of the covenant, this first, be also admitted into the Christian church. By baptism, we're giving a visible picture of their admittance into the church. And we say a visible picture because the reality is that our children are members of the church. 
Before the children this morning were baptized, they were members of the church because the church is fundamentally the whole company of the elect, the body of Christ. And so by baptizing them, it's not that we're making them members of the church, but we're giving a visible expression of that. We're giving them the sign of that truth. But then the catechism also goes on and says this secondly, that and be distinguished from the children of unbelievers. That too is what we're accomplishing. That's what we're showing when we baptize children. We're putting a distinguishing mark upon our children and saying, these are not the children of the world. These are the children of the church. Or to put it in kingdom terms, they are no longer citizens of the kingdom of darkness, but they are citizens of the kingdom of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of light, the kingdom of heaven. And we believe this is a must. In light of all of those reasons that we already established in the first point, that because they have the realities, we should give them the sign that points to those things signified. But the fact that this is a command comes out even stronger in Luke chapter 18. We've already noted a couple aspects of Luke 18, but let's circle back to it and see just how strongly this comes out here. And there are three aspects of this passage that point to this truth. First, Jesus' response to His disciples when they rebuked these parents. Verse 15 we read, "...and they," that is these parents, "...brought unto Him also infants, that He, Jesus, would touch them, the infants. But when His disciples saw it, they rebuked them." And now Luke's account just goes right to Jesus saying what He does, but one of the parallel accounts indicates that Jesus rebukes His disciples for this. Jesus was displeased with what His disciples had done. The disciples had supposed that Jesus ought not be bothered with these, these children. They, they, they had rebuked the parents. And it was a strong, it's a strong word used there. They were chiding these parents. They were reproving these parents. They supposed they had no business bringing these children to Jesus Christ in the middle of His work. But Jesus corrects that. He was displeased with them. He rebuked them. for their failure to see that these little children of such little children is the kingdom of heaven. So first of all, the fact that Jesus was displeased with His disciples for trying to keep the parents away. Second, there's the clear command of Jesus Christ to allow them to come. Verse 16, But Jesus called them unto Him and said, Suffer little children to come unto Me and forbid them not. He states it positively first. Suffer little children. And the idea, is there, the idea there is obviously not make them experience pain, but suffer in the sense of allow them, permit them to come. The disciples had been holding them off and now they were to release them as it were and let them come forward. But then Jesus not only states it positively, He states it negatively. Suffer, that is, permit little children to come unto Me and... Forbid them not. Literally, do not cut them off. Do not put a, a roadblock in front of them. Do not hinder them from coming. 
Forbid them not. And by stating it both positively, allow them to come, and negatively, do not forbid them to come, Jesus is emphasizing the point that these parents have every right. It's a good thing that they're bringing their infants to Me. So we see there's a command to bring our children to Jesus Christ. That command comes out from His response to the disciples rebuking the parents. It comes out from His command to the disciples, permit them, allow them to come. But then third and perhaps most strikingly, is that Jesus calls these children to come to Him. And that comes out in verse 16 where we read, but Jesus called them unto Him. And now in our English Bibles, we are not sure who them is referring to, but in the Greek language, you can tell that the them there does not refer to the parents. It actually refers to the children. Jesus Christ is summoning these infants to come to Him. And that's stronger than just allowing them, permitting them to come. He's actually beckoning them by His voice to come unto Him. And that's striking that Jesus calls children who cannot yet understand who cannot yet exercise their faith, who cannot yet live a life of good works to come unto Him. But how could they? They can't even walk yet through their parents. So that this word is an implicit calling to the parents. Bring your children to Jesus Christ. And it's in light of this clear command of Scripture of Scripture to bring our children to Jesus Christ, that there's important application for us. Application for the church and application for parents. First of all, for the church. And we start here because there's a word to the disciples. They needed to be instructed in the, through this incident, through this event. And they were the leaders of the church, the representatives of the church in that day, so that there's a word for the church still today. Bring your children to Jesus Christ. And it's in light of that command of Jesus Christ that we thus have our contention that we do with all those who fall under the banner of Baptists. We believe that by their refusal to baptize infants, they are really forbidding those children, at least in one way, to come to Jesus Christ. Now they would argue, but there's no passage in the New Testament that says baptize infants, baptize children. We would say that misses the whole point. The church has never appealed to one isolated proof text and say, see, there it is. There's the command, baptize infants. But instead, we're drawing from the overall testimony of Scripture that Scripture clearly teaches that our God saves children while they're still children. We've shown that. We've shown that He gives to them the reality that Christ Himself blesses children even when they're infants. And if they have the reality, we give them the sign that points to the thing signified. 
But then the Baptist would respond, but you need to make a profession of faith, a credible profession of faith before you can be baptized. And we say, what about these children? These infants, these babies, these toddlers that were carried by their parents to Jesus Christ only to receive a blessing from Him. They were not making some decision for Christ. It wasn't a matter of the exercise of their faith or living a life of good works. But even as babies, they were blessed of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we give them the sacrament that points to that same blessing. So the question for the church is will we bring our children to Jesus in every way that we can? And as Reformed churches, we believe we must. And because baptism is one way to do that, we will have our children baptized. But the calling of the church does not stop at the calling to baptize the infants. The calling of the church is to care for the children of the church. Jesus Christ said to Peter, feed my lambs. Not just my sheep, but my little lambs. Feed them. And therefore, the church has the calling to instruct the children of the church. And that's why we have catechism. We have a summer break from catechism right now, but this fall, the Lord willing, we will take up that work again because that's a part of the church bringing the children to Christ. This has application for the minister and his sermons. They must speak to the children. And that does not mean that every single sermon he has to explicitly say the word children, but the point is the sermons must be able to be understood by even the children here so that the sermons are not filled with all these abstract theological musings. They're not filled with all this technical jargon, but the minister must aim low. He must strive for simplicity, for clarity, so that even the children can follow the, the message that's being preached each Sunday. This is also why the church promotes Christian education. In our church order, there is an article that calls the church to see to it that there are good Christian schools that are used of parents. And now that does not mean that our school is a parochial school that is a church-run school. It's a parental school. It's the parents who, who run it. But yet the church has the calling to promote it, to encourage it, and to support it. Because Christ commands the church, bring your children to Christ. But now there's also application for the parents. Bring your children to Jesus. And this morning you've done that by bringing your children to be baptized. following the very example of these parents in Luke chapter 18 who took their little infants in their arms and carried them forward to Jesus Christ 
Recognizing that He is their only hope. Recognizing that their children need to be spiritually healed. And that's what we do when we baptize our children. We recognize that as cute and as seemingly innocent as our children are, yet they too are fallen in Adam. They too have foolishness bound up in their heart according to the book of Proverbs. And therefore, we bring them to Christ. To the great Physician. So that He might heal them even as He's healed us. We bring them to Christ through baptism so that He might incorporate our children into His body and bless them. And we carry them in our arms to Him in that way because we know that they cannot yet go themselves. But it's not just baptism. It's broader than that. We cannot as parents suppose, well, I brought my child to baptism and therefore I've brought my child to Jesus Christ. Because this is not a one-time thing. This is to be what we see is our primary calling as parents all throughout our time with our children. Bring them to Jesus. And that's why we take our children to church and go through the, the pain, the difficulty of training them to sit still in church, to listen. Even if for a time it means we hardly get anything out of the worship service. Because we want our children to learn that this is where we belong on a Sunday. We want our children to hear the voice of Jesus Christ through the preaching. But it's not just we bring them to the church. It's in our own homes. In our own homes, we're to bring our children to Jesus Christ by ever setting our Savior before them. We're to instruct our children in the truths of the Gospel. Because they need the Gospel no less than we do. And therefore, as parents, our our instruction in the home must not only be law. Do this and do that. Don't do that. If you do that, I'm going to do this. There's a place for that. But if that's the only aspect of our parenting, if it's all law and only law and no Gospel, then I can assure you the only thing that we're going to produce as parents are little Pharisees. Little Pharisees who look to their own righteousness. Who trust in themselves to draw from the context of the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. Who despise others, look down on others because they don't keep the law the way that I keep the law. There must be rules in parenting. There must be laws in the home. But that always must be in the service of the Gospel and bringing our children to Christ. And that affects even how we discipline our children. When we discipline, that is law. That's the administration of pain. But that must be in the service of the Gospel so that after I discipline my child, I don't stop there and walk away storming mad. Leave the child just crying and screaming. But having shown 
that this was sin, we then take our children to Christ. We point them to Him to say there's forgiveness. We teach them to pray, Father, forgive my sin of disobeying Dad. Hear this prayer for Christ's sake. And when they've finished that prayer, we, we make clear there is forgiveness. Our sins are washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. And maybe we point them back to their own baptism as a picture that they can use to, un- that can be used to help them understand what it means to be forgiven. Parents, bring your children to Christ. Do not leave it up to them on their own to learn about their Savior. But at the youngest possible age, while you can still hold them in your arms, bring them to Christ. And do so with confidence. Because of those beautiful promises we started with. He promised to establish His covenant with the children of believers. The promise of the remission of sins and of the Holy Ghost is not only to you, but also to your children. Cling to those promises. Trust those promises. And by faith, keep bringing your children to Jesus Christ. Not only is there the calling for us to bring our children to Jesus Christ. In the sacrament of baptism and in this particular passage that we read this morning, there's a reminder to us about how all of us receive the kingdom of heaven. We are to receive it as little children. And that's the message the message of infant baptism. That we receive the kingdom as little children. That's the instruction of Jesus Christ in verse 17. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. Jesus Christ was teaching us how we're to receive the kingdom and we're to receive it as little children. Little children because little children... are representative of one who is dependent and humble. Our little children are dependent. These three newborn babes here are entirely reliant upon their parents and especially their mothers to take care of them. There's also that humility that comes out in children. Many adjectives could be used to describe children. Selfish, certainly being one of them. But proud is not. They learn that. But in their earliest years, they're not characterized by pride. They're characterized by humility. And I say that not because of my own assessment as a parent, but because of what Christ Himself says in Matthew 18, verse 4, "...whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child..." The same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So that Christ Himself pointed to the humility of a child. But now in these ways, completely dependent and humble, 
children then represent how we are to receive the kingdom of heaven. Not trusting in ourselves like the Pharisee in the context. Not holding up our own good works. See, Father, look what I've done. I've tithed for you. I've said my prayers. Not bringing our good works. Not bringing our repentance. Not bringing our faith here. This is what I've done and now you really owe it to me to to save me, to bless me. But as little children dependent on Christ, humbled in Christ. And all this relates to baptism because baptism is a picture of this, particularly infant baptism. The view of the Baptist is that first you must make a credible profession of faith. And only then may you be baptized. And therefore they say no children are allowed. But implied in that, at least, is that when I go to be baptized, I have to bring my faith with me. That my faith is what sets me apart as one who is worthy of baptism. Infant baptism emphasizes that it's all God's work. We bring nothing to Him. We do not carry our works. We do not carry our repentance. We do not carry our faith and present it to Him, turn that in, and then we receive the waters of baptism. We come dependent. We come humbly. Was that not the picture we saw this morning? Was that not the message? Three sons of the congregation carried up the steps, brought to Jesus Christ, pointing to how we are brought to the kingdom. Not by our parents doing it, but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, carrying us, as it were, moving us giving us the gift of faith to believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. That is the message of infant baptism. In light of that glorious truth, let us praise our God for His sovereign work in saving us. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, We thank Thee for Thy Word and for the comforting truths of it. Apply this Word unto our hearts and cause it to bear fruit in our lives. We pray this for Christ's sake. Amen.